From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power Power Show, Wednesday, June 15, 2022. It is great to see you all on this extremely hot and humid summer day in Atlanta, Georgia. It is a heat wave, but the heat outside has no match for the heat of Torah and heat of uh, Torah's inspiration. So we are going to um, study the daily reading as we do in Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, and therefore we are going to study the fourth reading of the Torah portion. I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump right in. Okay, so just to quickly recap, um, in the beginning of the Torah portion, we spoke about uh, laws regarding the menorah, kindling the menorah. We spoke about the Levites and how to inaugurate the Levites. Then we spoke about, just pull up yesterday's readings, we spoke about... um, the 25 and up Levite service. We said five years for study and training, and then at 30 years old, that's when they that's when they get started, the actual task. Um, we also, yesterday, read about the story of Pesach Sheni, the second Passover, um, the mitzvah of the second Passover, and bringing um, the, pas- the Paschal Lamb if one was unable to bring it the first time around. So one has a chance to bring it one month later on the 14th day of the month of ER. All right, that takes us to today's reading. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, reading number 4 for Wednesday. New topic. On the day the Mishkan was erected, and that was, again, the first day of Nisan in the year 2449, almost one year after the Exodus. On that day, the cloud covered the Mishkan, which was a tent for the testimony. And at evening, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, I think that's correct. And at evening, I guess that night, there was over the Mishkan like an appearance of fire, which remained until morning. So by day, there was a cloud. And by night, there was a fire. Or it says, it actually doesn't say fire. It says there was, over the Mishkan, like an appearance of fire. Like an appearance of, is not exactly the same thing as saying there was fire. Like appearance. In the Hebrew, it's ke, like, mare, like the appearance of. It's a pretty good translation. What looked like fire. Let's continue. Verse 16, so that was the day it was set up and the night. And then verse 16 says, and so it was always. The cloud covered it and there was an appearance of fire at night. So by day there was a cloud and like fire at night. And according to the clouds, departure from over the tent and afterwards the children of Israel would travel. In other words, when the cloud lifted from above the Ohamoid, it's a tent of meeting, um, the tent referring to the the sanctuary building, as it were. 
so the covered the covered structure. So when the cloud departed from that, then the children of Israel would travel. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would encamp. So when it lifted, we moved. When it settled, we stopped. Follow the cloud. You ever see those movies? Follow that, that, that cab or follow that car. Follow that cloud. At the bidding of the Lord, the children of Israel traveled. And at the bidding of the Lord, they encamped. When God said go, they went. And how did God say go with the cloud lifting? When God said go, they went. When God said time to stop with the cloud settling, they stopped. As long as the cloud hovered over the Mishkan, they encamped. When the cloud lingered over the Mishkan for many days, didn't lift, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not travel. If the cloud was there, they stayed put. Sometimes the cloud remained for several days above the Mishkan. At the Lord's bidding, they encamped, and at the Lord's bidding, they traveled. It's kind of like the, the chorus, right? So some, sometimes the cloud was there for several days. Sometimes, verse 21, the cloud remained from evening until morning. It was only an overnight stay. And when the cloud departed in the morning, they traveled. Or the cloud remained for a day and a night. And when the cloud departed, they traveled. You get the idea, right? The point is, no matter how long the cloud was over the Mishkan, they stayed. When the cloud left, they left. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud lingered to hover over the Mishkan, the children of Israel would encamp and not travel. And when it departed, they traveled. So no matter how long the cloud was over the Mishkan, overnight, 24 hours, 2 days, 30 days, 365 days, doesn't matter. If the cloud was there, they stayed put. The cloud lifted, they, when the cloud departed, so did they. To summarize this uh, conversation, verse 23, at the Lord's bidding, they would encamp, and at the Lord's bidding, they would travel. They kept the charge of the Lord by the word of the Lord through Moses. Okay, let's pause here for a moment and let's do some analysis. Um, what's clear is that their travels were directed by what I like to call GPS, God's positioning system, right? GPS, God essentially tells them when to go, when to stay. And it's indicated, what's the medium through which God um, indicates this? What is he passing a, a note to us? What is he, um, you know, like uh, putting out the bat signal? I mean, it's kind of like that, actually. It's a cloud. The cloud is there, so over the tent, you stay put. The cloud lifts and starts moving, follow that cloud until it, until it settles. Then you stop. What I find um, meaningful, amongst other things, we're going to talk about a lot, of, a lot of themes right now, but one thing that I find meaningful right off the bat is this notion of the cloud remaining over the camp anywhere from you know, a full year or maybe even more than a year to even just, you know, overnight, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. And I think it's, to me, it's a powerful lesson in life. And that is sometimes we think that, you know, when I'm, when I'm somewhere permanent or like relatively permanent, that's when it's meaningful. But if I'm only somewhere for overnight, it's probably not that meaningful. No, it's not true. Even if it's only an overnight stay, you got to set up the full Mishkan. 
I hope I hope this makes sense. This insight that I'm trying to share. I, I feel like I've shared this recently. You know, we talked about like going on vacation and you know really um, not not losing your values, even if it's only you know uh, you know you're on vacation, and so it doesn't really matter. And, and it's, uh, um, along similar lines or or uh, in a similar vein is what I want to share right now. You know, sometimes you're uh, you know you're at a, you're you're staying over a hotel overnight. So the question is the room that you're staying in. Yeah, is it is it? Are you making it a Jewish room or not? That's the question. What do I mean by a Jewish room? Do you have a siddur, or a prayer book in there, a tzedakah box, right? Do you have like a something that you can study, whether digital or or, or, or tangible book, right? Do you have do you have the Jewish items that you need or the spiritual items that you need to like make sure that that night or that morning is going to be the way it needs to the way it needs to happen? You need to pray at night. You need to pray in the morning. Do you have a siddur, or a prayer book? Get tzedakah before davening. Do you have a charity box? So, and a person's going to say, well, no, it's just a hotel room. I'm just there overnight. I'm, I'm gone in the morning. Or, I, you know, I'm just, just there for a day or just a few days. But that's exactly what the Torah is telling us. Even if the encampment was just for, you know, overnight, or they set up the whole Mishkan. I mean, that's between the lines. It didn't actually spell it out in the Torah, but that's what happened. When the cloud settled, all of the, the army, you know, all of the, uh, the grounds crew, so to speak, they, they went to work, all the Levites. They unloaded the wagons, they unloaded the boards, the beams, the sockets, the, the curtains, the tapestry. They put everything up. They put all the, the Kahat family, they put the menorah where it needs to be, the ark where it needs to be. Everything was set up. And then in the morning, if the cloud lifted, they packed everything back up again. But even if it was overnight... They made sure that that space was holy. That space was a mishkan, was a tabernacle. The real deal. It wasn't like, well, it's just anyway overnight. Nah, we'll just keep everything packed up. Keep it in the suitcase. It was, if you're stopping, if, it's, if, if, if you're there, got to go all the way. And so again, the message is, it's just a perspective. I know I'm getting very specific in the application, but I feel like it's a good message, especially around uh, summertime and people are doing a lot of traveling or people do, you know, people travel typically. Um, you know, make sure that when you pack your bags, even if it's for a short uh, vacation or short whatever trip somewhere, make sure you pack a siddur, a prayer book. Make sure you pack whatever, whatever Jewish ritual, spiritual, whatever items you need to, to, to make that a mishkan, to make that a home for God. It's a temporary home. It's not your home. You're just stopping overnight. Make it, make it holy. Make it a, a, a place of permanence. I think I mentioned this recently. The first thing you pack, traditionally, is, uh, at least for men, talis and tefillin. First thing you pack is, uh, you know, a talit and tefillin. Uh, you know, for women, first thing you would pack would be a prayer book, uh, chumash, whatever, something like that. I know today you can, you know, everything's on the phone. You have an app. You know, a Siddur app, I have on my phone, I have, let's see what I have right here. I have a, a Siddur app, a Tehillim app. You can even give, you know, Sadaka digitally. So, I mean, you could theoretically, you know, the phone could really do everything. But it's good to also have something tangible. All right, so that's one insight. Um, the other thing that I'd like to share is regarding the cloud by day and fire by night. If you recall, and I'll put it back on the screen, beginning of the reading... We read um, that there was a cloud covering the Mishkan by day, right? On the day 
the Mishkan was erected, the cloud covered the Mishkan. And at night, there was like, like, like an appearance of fire. What does that mean? Cloud by day, fire by night. So I want to share with you an insight. So there's an expression that I heard many years ago that I find to consistently be very powerful. And that is, don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows. You know, we, we run, there's a risk with getting too emotionally, you know, like uh, uh, becoming too emotionally volatile. Like when things are good, oh, it's amazing. And when things are bad, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's, um, there's a, there's a challenge or danger in that because if you get all like, you know, super stoked about things being good, you may take your, your eye off the, uh, you might, you may take your eyes off of what's really important. You might forget about, you know, doing the work that it takes to maintain the goodness, make it so excited that you're going to forget to do what needs to be done. And then everything goes, everything crashes. You know, it's kind of like um, what Joseph tells Pharaoh. You're going to have seven years of plenty, right? Don't spend it all. Don't eat, don't eat up everything because there will be years of famine. So, you know, you want to get, get carried away with the good years, with the good times? Okay, but that, that may come back to bite you. So don't get too high with the highs. Like keep like an emotional, keep it even keel, keep your eye on the price. That's one message. On the other side, it's don't get too low with the lows. You know, things are not, God forbid, not going well, or there are challenges. It's easy to get caught up in that, not caught up in that, to become despondent or just totally broken by that. That also is not is not healthy because the the, the ideal is to to climb out of that negativity, to work to change that 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 reality, and that requires effort and that requires motivation. But not getting too low with the lows. Getting low with the lows means like, oh, it's a terrible, it's, it's the worst. So not getting too high with the highs or low with the lows means that when things are good, you don't delude yourself into thinking like they're amazing, they'll never get better, and it'll always be like this. That's a dangerous attitude. And when things are not so, so great, God forbid, we also shouldn't become totally, you know, you know, flip the other way and be like totally morose and despondent and depressed and like, oh, this is terrible. It's never going to get better. It's the worst. My life is, is, is horrible. God forbid that we should, that we should think that. And even keel. What's, what's, uh, the word is hishtavut in Hebrew. Hishtavut. It means equanimity. Keeping an even keel. If it's good, great. I'm still working hard. If it's bad, Okay, I'm working on improving it. But keeping an even keel, hishtavut, is very, it's, it's, a, it's a serious type of avodah, of inner work. I think more, you know, some people are predisposed to being more even keel and others are predisposed to being more, you know, like, um, you know, bouncing from one, one extreme to the other. But either way, it's, we should at least aim for that hishtavut, that kind of more even keel disposition. And so the Torah, to circle back, the Torah is reminding us by day when everything looks great, keep a cloud handy. The cloud covers it. Like keep keep your eye keep your eyes open. Know that there are cloudy days ahead or above. Know that things are not always going to remain you know on this level of good, and you know keep keep your eyes open. At the same time, at night when things are dark, there's a fire, right? There's a fire over the camp. 
And that means, even in those moments of darkness, be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you can see that light, you can get out. If you don't see the light, then, then it's much harder to get out. So cloud by day, temper the day with a little cloud. Fire by night, temper the darkness with, with a little light. Keeps us even keel. The contrast keeps us balanced. Hope that makes sense. Let's jump into Rashi. There's more that I want to say, but let's do some Rashis in the meantime. I'm giving you like Hasidic insights, but let's also look at the simple understanding as well. Okay, uh, the Mishkan, which was a tent for the testimony, the Mishkan served as a tent over the tablets of the testimony. The Mishkan building, the cover building, was a tent over the tablets in the Ark of the Testament. Um, okay, clouds departure. Grammatical Rashis. Here we go. At the bidding of the Lord they traveled. We learned in the Brita the following. Listen to this. When the Israelites traveled, the cloud would fold and spread itself over the tribe of Judah like a beam. That's amazing. That's the coolest thing ever. Remember, Judah, they were at the, whenever, they, whenever the Jews moved, whenever they, they marched forward, it was Judah that was at the, at the lead. So when they traveled, the cloud would fold and spread itself over the tribe of Judah like a beam. I, I know this is not what Rashi says, but I'm literally picturing like an arrow, right? Like a cloud folding itself into an arrow saying, this way, go this. The cloud doesn't spread out. It folds itself up like a beam. I mean, either it means a beam straight up or a beam moving forward. I'm picturing it moving forward, to be honest. Let's continue. They blew a tekiah long blast, a true series of short blasts, and another tekiah, but it did not move on until the cloud, did not move on until Moses declared, rise up, O Lord. And then the banner, or maybe Judah didn't move until Moses declared, rise up, O Lord. Uh, no, probably the cloud. And then the banner of the camp of Judah would travel. Uh, okay, I don't know. I'm still a little unclear as to who Moses was saying to rise up. Rise up, O Lord, sounds like Moses telling God to move. Anyway, interesting. But either way, either way, the, the cloud started to fold up into itself like a beam, either vertical or horizontal, not sure, maybe at an angle. Um, and then everyone got into formation. Moses says, rise up, O Lord. It started moving and everyone started moving. At the bidding of the Lord, they encamped. As soon as the Israelites encamped, the pillar of cloud would mushroom upward and spread itself over the tribe of Judah like a canopy. Hmm. Mushroom upward. I want to find that in the in the Hebrew. Amud ha'anan mitamer Maybe that word mitamer means mushroom. I don't know. Mushroom sounds like a, a modern word. Anyway, it spread itself over the tribe of Judah like a canopy. It would not depart until Moses declared, "Return, O Lord." I don't know. Depart is not the right word. I think it would not spread until Moses. Declared, return, O Lord, to the myriads of Israel's thousands. This is what is meant by, according to the Lord's word, through Moses. So Moses would give the command. I guess there was a divine signal and then a human signal from Moses, and then everything fell into place. Sometimes, Yamim uh, Mispar, literally a number of days, a few days. Several days, a few days, okay. All right, that takes us to the end of, of, uh, of this section of Rashi. 
We're up to Numbers chapter 10, but I want to share with you another insight. I wanted to cover Rashi, but now I want to share with you one more insight. The Baal Shem Tev says, and this is, you know, we've talked about this countless times. Baal Shem Tev teaches that God guides every single one of us. You know, every single human being has a journey. And the journey is divinely directed. So just like we just read about the Jewish people of, of old, the ancient children of Israel, and you know, back in, uh, in Tabernacle, Mishkan times, in, in the times of Moses, just like the, in the desert, they would travel per divine command with divine signs, a cloud, or this or that, right? Just like they would travel with clear guidance or with guidance, we also, our journey in life is also guided by God. Whether we see it with our eyes sense it with our soul, feel it in our gut, in our kishkas, or whether, you know, things happen and we find ourselves in some place or another place. You know, I would say a tzaddik, someone who's more plugged in to, to the ultimate truth, probably has a greater sense of clarity as to where they need to be. For the average person, the person who doesn't see God everywhere, person who just sees stuff, yeah, it's like, oh, a cup of tea. Look at that, right? So for you and I who see the stuff more than the spirit, naturally, so it might be a little harder to sense, you know, the, the divine directions. But they're there. They're always there. You feel it. You know it. You believe it. Or again, sometimes things happen. And before you know it, you're just moved into a certain space, into a certain scenario. But one thing that's clear is that God directs our footsteps when we are here or there or when we move from here to there or we find ourselves in a certain place it's always per divine orchestration and it's always for a higher purpose so if we find ourselves in that job with these people in that city it's significant that doesn't mean that we should never change something right we change at the appropriate time but what it means is that wherever we are there is an important mission to accomplish. We should never take our space, our physical spaces, for granted. Let's continue inside with chapter 10. I'm going to toggle Rashi off, and then we'll get back inside to the Torah's text. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make yourself two silver trumpets. Now, these were like silver, made out of silver, straight up. Um, you shall make them from a beaten form. This will sound familiar. A beaten form is what's used regarding the menorah. So as, as I'm sure you know what that means, what that means is that it's hammered out of one solid piece of silver in this case. You start off with a block of silver and you, however you do it, you heat it, you hammer it, whatever, until it turns into a trumpet that can make a sound. And what do you do with these trumpets? They shall be used by you to summon the congregation and to announce the departure of the camps. Before WhatsApp, before Twitter, before you know group texting, they had to use other forms of notification. You had a lot of people. You had between 2 and 3 million people. You had 600,000 men from 20 to 60. We just read the census. Um, a few weeks ago, right? 600,000 Jewish men between 20 and 60, plus women, 
between 20 and 60, plus men and women over 60 and young men and women below the age of 20. So you had like 2 million, 3 million people. How do you get everyone on the same page to know it's time to move? Two silver trumpets. When they blow on them, the entire congregation shall assemble to you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If they blow one of them, the princes, the leaders of Israel's thousands, shall convene to you. When they blow a truah, I mean, it's kind of like, ever buy a device that has like different LED colors, notifications? I don't mean like the obvious ones, like red meaning your battery is dying, green meaning it's charging. That's like obvious. But some things they like have, like when the th- it's, it's like a blinking light and you're like, what's a blink? Like, what does that mean? It's blinking orange. Is that good? Is that not good? <laughs> what do I need to do? Is Wi-Fi connected? Is it disconnected? Are we good? Are we right? It's like it's got it's got a whole system of of signals, or like if you have um, you know like the Bluetooth earbuds, so and you have different companies they all do different things. So like one tap skips the track, two taps goes back a track, three taps I don't know blows it up whatever it is I don't know like adjust the volume, you know, there's diff- all these different functions and it's all through a series of taps and, and, and you know, a series of Morse code. So in a similar way, we have, Lahavdil, of course, in a similar way, were these trumpets. So we have, um, just to go back inside, if both trumpets are blown, then that means everybody gathers. Group meeting. If one of the trumpets are blown, that means the princes, the Nisim, gather to Moses. When you blow not a blast, but a trua, which is a series of short blasts, then the camps which are encamped to the east shall travel. When you blow a second trua, the camps encamped to the south shall travel. They shall blow a trua for traveling. But when assembling the congregation, you shall, everybody, sorry, when you're assembling them for for a group meeting, not to start falling out, not to start moving, then you shall blow a tekiah, long blast, but not a trua. The descendants of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. By the way, that was left off, right? If you look in the original verse, so God says to Moses, make two trumpets. And then he says, when they blow on them. Who's they? He doesn't say when you blow on them, which means Moses is sounding the trumpets. When they blow on them. Who's, who's sounding the shofar? Takes a few verses, but we get there. The descendants of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The Kohanim were trumpet blowers. This shall be an eternal statute for your generations. Let's do two more verses. We'll get back to Rashi. If you go to war in your land against an adversary that oppresses you, you shall blow a trua with the trumpets and be remembered before the Lord your God and thus be saved from your enemies. So now we have another use of the trumpet. In times of war, blowing a long blast kind of evokes God's Memory and compassion and kindness and salvation. Let's continue. On the days of your rejoicing, on your festivals, that means yomtif, holidays, and on your new moon celebrations. I love that. New moon celebrations. Rosh Chodesh. You shall blow on the trumpets for your ascent offerings and your peace offerings. So you sound the shofar in conjunction with the ola offerings. That's the ascent offerings, the burnt offerings, and peace offerings. And it shall be a remembrance before before your God. I am 
the Lord your God. So very cool conversation here in the Torah about the trumpets, two silver trumpets, which were used for multiple purposes. It was used to summon the congregation. It was used to announce the departure of the camps. And it was used in the context of war. And it was used in the context of rejoicing on the festivals and on Rosh Chodesh. All right, I hope that makes sense. Let's do Rashi. Let's do Rashi. Let's talk about these, uh, these trumpets. So God says to, Mo- to Moshe, Moses, Asay l'cha, make yourself. So they should blow before you like a king, as it says there was a king among uh, in, in Jeshurun. Rashi is a little bit opaque in my understanding. Well, the Hebrew is a little bit clearer. The Hebrew seems to indicate that another role of these trumpets was that they should sound it to announce Moses. Kind of like you would blow the trumpets to announce the king. I don't know what the actual tune of a trumpet before a king is, whatever that tune is. I'm sure what I just did was not at all anything. But anyway, they would blow the trumpets and a king would emerge. So um, it sounds like God is telling Moses, you know, I'm not putting this in the script, but between the lines, I say, lecha, make yourself or make for yourself two trumpets. It's going to be used for you as well, like a king. Make yourself also means from your own resources. Make yourself, wow, two, three Rashis on the same two words, different angles. You make them and use them, but no one else. You make them and use them, but no one else. Looks like the, the priests also use them, but whatever. To summon the congregation when you wish to speak with the members of the Sanhedrin court and the rest of the people, and you summon them to gather before you convene them with the trumpets. Again, group meeting. We've got to have a schmooze. Here's the trumpets. And to announce the departure of the camps at the time the camps are due to depart, blow on them, on the trumpets, as a signal. It follows, aha, based on all that we've learned today so far, it follows that they traveled at the behest of three. At God's bidding, the cloud starts folding and lifting by the word of Moses who says, God, let's go. And by the call of the, show, of the trumpets that announce it to the people. So there was a cloud, Moses' cry or call, proclamation, and the trumpet blast. Three parties, God, Moses, and the trumpets. All right, beaten. It should be made out of a single block by banging it with a hammer. When they blow on them to call the people, that is, as I mentioned, and as Rashi clarifies here, with both of them. It is a signal for the congregation to assemble, as it says the entire congregation shall assemble to you at the entrance of the tenth of meeting. In other words, the rest of the verse. So when you blow and you sound both trumpets, everybody gathers together. If they blow on one of them, it is a signal for the princes to assemble, as it says, the princes shall assemble to you. Now, where do they meet? Their meeting point was also at the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is derived by the Sifri from the rule of inference. Okay, we're going to leave that aside. When you blow a trua, short blast, the signal for the camps to travel was a tekiya, a terua, and a tekiya. The Sifri derives this from redundant verses. We would not have known that from our own reading, but the Sifri, which is a midrash that has halacha, that has kind of the, the law, um, a focus on the law, remi- it tells us 
that if you look at all the verses and you put all the pieces together, they actually did a series of signals. The signal to travel was Tekiah, that's a long blast, Trua, short blast, and Tekiah, a long blast. You know when we do Tekiah, Trua, and Tekiah? The answer is on Rosh Hashanah. It's exactly what we do. Do we do a long blast? And then we do a short blast. There's we have there's different forms of short blast, but in general, that's called Trua, the short blast segment. And then Takia, the long blast once again. So long one, and then short ones, and then a long one again. Three series of blasts. And that was the signal for the camps to start moving. First the eastern flank. In the southern flank, etc. Okay, give me a second. Okay, this is an important Rashi because Rashi is clarifying more elements. It's long and it's going to be a little bit, you know, and an analytical. But let's 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 uh, let's try our best. Okay. When assemb- but when assembly the, the verse, but when assembly the congregation, you shall blow a, t- a tekiah, but not a trua. Okay, because it says, Rash, because it says they shall be used by you to summon the congregation to announce the departure of the camps, just as summoning the congregation is done by two priests, and with both trumpets, as it says, they shall blow with them, so the traveling of the camps was with both of them, and that was one might think. I might think that just as with the departure of the camps, he blows a tekiah, trua, Takia, so too when summoning the congregation, he blows the Takia, true Takia. And now there will be no difference between the signal for summoning the congregation and the signal for initiating the departure of the camps. In other words, let me explain this. If you look back at verse 2, God says to Moses, Make two silver trumpets. Why? They should be used for two purposes. One, to summon the congregation, and number two, to announce the departure of the camps. So the fact that both rolls of the trumpets were, are, are, um, are joined together in the same verse, the gathering and the departure, I might think that just like the departure, as we just read, requires tekiah, trua tekiah, so to the summoning requires tekiah, trua tekiah. I might have thought, that's not the case, but I might have thought that just like you do a series of different blast lengths to, to signal the departure of the camps, perhaps the same thing is true when you gather everyone together. Back in Rashi. Um, scripture therefore teaches, but when assembling the congregation, dot, 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 which is this verse, when assembling the congregation, you shall blow a tekiah, but not a trua. That's exactly what the Torah is telling us, indicating that no trua is blown to summon the congregation. And the same applies for convening the leaders. So Rashi summarizes, and this is important. This is the, this is the bottom line. So Rashi takes us through the journey, you know, just trying to figure out you know, based on the verses, what's actually going on. But here's the bottom line. So there is a signal for all three. What are the three categories before we continue? Gathering everyone together, gathering the leaders together, and moving out. So summoning the congregation was with two. And two two chauffeurs, not chauffeurs, two trumpets, tkia, long glass. Conveniently, the princes are with one. one, one trumpet. And neither of them included a trua, just a tekiah, just a long blast. But initiating the camp's depart- departure was with both, both trumpets, and with a trua and a tekiah and another trua after, another tekiah. 
with a true and tekiah, but it's really tekiah, true and tekiah. Anyway, different types of sounds. I, to me, it's fairly clear. I hope I'm articulating it clearly. Does that make sense, what I'm saying so far? Just checking in. Yeah? yeah. Okay, perfect. So again, bottom line is there was a, a very highly precise signal. You had to pay attention to what sounds you were hearing, and you would know. Are we gathering? Do I need to be there? Is it just, you know, Prince's only meeting? Is it, uh, are we supposed to move? What are we doing? Okay, you had to pay attention. The descendants of Aaron shall blow for these summonings and journeyings. In other words, gathering everyone together or starting to move out. Um, it was done by Aaron. Okay, here we go. You also sound the trumpets in times of war and you also sound it, sound it in times of rejoicing like the festivals and Rosh Chodesh celebrations. For your ascent offerings, what does that mean? The verse speaks of communal offerings. And I am the Lord your God. From here we learn that on the New Year festival, i.e. Rosh Hashanah, the verses proclaiming God's kingship, Malchios, are recited with verses of remembrance, Zechronos, and verses related to the Shofar, Shofros. As it says, for it says, you shall blow, this refers to Shofros, a remembrance, this refers to Zechronos, I am the Lord your God, this refers to Malchios, the idea that God is in charge. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Verse 10 is an allusion, a hint, to the way we pray on Rosh Hashanah to this very day. On Rosh Hashanah in the Musaf Amidah, we recite three sections. It's the longest Amidah of the year. Rosh Hashanah afternoon is, the Musaf prayer is like, it's huge. Got three major sections. We speak of God's kingship. God, you're the king. You created the world. You're in charge. We speak about God's remembrance. God, you remember everything. You make note of everything. You remember all of our deeds, good, bad, or ugly. Remembrance. And then we talk about the shofar. It's a mitzvah to sound the shofar on this day, blah, 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 shofar. And Rashi says all three are alluded to right here. Blow the trumpets. That's the shofar. Remembrance. Remembrance. I am the Lord your God. God's kingship. What a hint. Okay, let's uh, let's see if we can do one more reading. Ooh, it's a little bit long. Um, maybe we can do it quickly. I'd like to do it because tomorrow we don't have a session because of um, my, the JLI class, the last session of that JLI course. And then Friday we can do six and seven. So let, let's, let's see if we can kind of uh, move through this one. Reading five, Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. Okay, back to the narrative. You know, we, we had commandments and instructions, but now we're back to the story. On the 20th of the second month in the second year, let me give you exact date. The 20th day of the month of ER in the year 2449. That would be one, one year, one month, and five days after the Exodus. On that day, 20 ER 2449, the cloud rose up from over the tabernacle of the testimony. This is the first journey after the Mishkan was erected. So just to be very clear here. The Mishkan was built. Opening day was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. One month and 20 days later, 
So Nissan 1, Mishkan is built. ER 20, 20th VR, a month and 20 days later, the cloud lifts. Let's read this inside. The cloud rose up from over the tabernacle of the testimony. You know what happens then? Got to move. The children of Israel traveled on their journeys. Well, you can imagine. <laughs> the cloud begins to fall. Then Moses gives the cry and the trumpets are sounded. And then everybody started traveling. So they traveled on their journeys from the Sinai Desert. And the cloud settled in the desert of Paran. Now, you know, right? We read this already today. When the cloud settles, then, you know, that's where we're supposed to stop. This was the first journey at God's bidding through Moses. This was the first journey post Mishkan, post, you know, that, that point in time that God, you know, with the signal of the cloud of the Mishkan, that's the first journey of God's bidding at God's bidding through Moses. The banner of the camp of Judah's children, that was the eastern flank, traveled first according to their legions. Heading the legion was Nachshon, the son of, of Aminadab. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Tzur. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helam. Now the tabernacle, so that those are the eastern three tribes. The tabernacle was dismantled, and the sons of Gershon set out together with the sons of Merari who carried the tabernacle. Remember, Gershon carried the tapestries, Merari, the heavy beams, and the sockets. Then the banner of the camp of Reuben set out according to their legions. Heading its legion was Elitzer, the son of Shteir. This was the southern side, the southern flank. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shlumiel, the son of Tzerishandai. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of God was Eliasaf, the son of Deuel. Now the Kahatites, who carried the holy equipment, uh, the ark, the menorah, the table, the altars, they set out and, and they had erected the tabernacle before they had arrived. Was, they went ahead and kind of set things up for the arrival. Then the banner of the camp of Ephraim set out. That's the western flank, according to its legions. Heading its legion was Elishama, the son of Amihud. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamliel, the son of Petatzer. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Avidan, the son of Gedoni. Then the banner of the camp of Dan, that's to the north. They set out the collector. Oh, Me'asef Nice. They were the collector of all the camps. They went last. And when you go last, you get to pick up the lost and found. <laughs> they were the collector of all the camps. That means, you know, when, when everybody else started moving, done, they went last. So they found, oh, who left their uh, cell phone charger? Who lost, uh, you know, who lost a pair of earbuds? They collected everything that was lost. By the way, this reminds us of the mitzvah to return lost objects. Uh, one of the classes that we recently taught in, J in the JLI course was about return lost property. Here we see that even from the, the beginnings of our people, there was a tribe that was, their official or unofficial job was to collect things that were lost. According to his legions, heading his legion was Achiezer, the son of Mishadai. The other tribes in the north, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Asher, was Pagil, the son of Akron. And finally, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, was Achira, the son of Enon. These are the travels of the children of Israel according to their legions, and then they traveled. So if you recall the order, let me stop sharing for a moment just to get everything using some hand signals for no reason. So when the cloud lifted and Moses says, let's go, and the trumpets sounded, the eastern three tribes led by Judah started moving. The Levites then started dismantling and loading up the wagons and whatever. The southern flank headed by Reuven, 
they started moving out. Then the Kahatites start moving, start carrying the, uh, the altar, the ark, the menorah, the, the items, the vessels of the, temp- of the Mishkan. Then the western flank begins moving out, led by Ephraim, and then the northern flank moves out, led by uh, Dun, the collector of the camps. Let's go back inside and let's continue. These are the trio. We did that. Then, oh, wow, look at this drama. Then Moses said to Chovav, the son of Reuel, the Midianite. Who was that guy? Moses' father-in-law. Yeah, if you're, in case you're wondering, the answer is yes. This guy has more names than I can count. He's called Yisro, or Yitro. He's called um, Chovav. He's called, um, there's more names that I'm forgetting now. Whatever, he's, there's a bunch of names that he's called. But, and there's a reason why he's called different names. But anyway, so Moses says to his father-in-law, we are traveling to the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. That means the promised land, Israel, because that's where they were headed. I mean, they ultimately got there, but that's the direction they were headed. Come with us, Moses says to his father-in-law, and we will be good to you. For the Lord has spoken of good fortune for Israel. Stay with us. Things are going to be great. Yitro said to him, to Moses, I won't go. It's not for me. For I will go to my land and my birthplace. He says to his son-in-law, Moses, I'm going home. Moses said to him, please don't leave us. For because you are familiar with our encampments in the desert and you will be our guide, you know what's going on and you can lead us. You're a a wise man, a spiritual guru. And if you go with us, then we will bestow on you the good which God grants us. We're going to hook you up also. What happened at the end? We don't even get a resolution to the conversation. Moses says, come with us. Yisro says, no, thank you. Moses says, no, really, come with us. Okay. I guess Moses won. I guess. I guess he went with them. They traveled a distance of three days from the mountain of the Lord. From Mount Sinai. And the ark of the Lord's covenant traveled three days ahead of them to seek for them a place to settle. As we read before, the Kadites were carrying the, uh, the vessels. The ark was always ahead of its time. And just to bookend our conversation today, the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they traveled from the camp. Let's see if we can do it right at 1 o'clock. Perfect timing. Let's see if we can do a little Rashi. Um, it's not that much. Uh, well, okay. Let's see. Let's see how much we can do here. <sighs> All right. Um, when did they start traveling? The first, the first journey after the Mishkan was built. The 20th, the second month, the second year. Rashi says, hence you say that they spent 12 months minus 10 days at Horeb, that means Sinai. From the first day of Sivan, they encamped there and did not travel until the 20th of Iyar the following year. Yeah, they were there for almost a year at Mount Sinai. They got the Torah, they sinned, they did Shuva, they built the Mishkan, they put it up. So they were there at Mount Sinai, at the, at the base of the mountain. For... Um, for just about 12 months. Next on their journeys. 
in accordance with the regulations set down for the traveling of their banners, which should be first and which should be last. Okay, well, we know east, south, west, north. The desert of Paran, Kivar Ataiva was in the desert of Paran, and that is where they camped after this journey. Okay, let's move on. The tabernacle was dismantled. Once the banner of Judah had set out, that's the eastern flank, Aaron and his sons went in, took down the parochet curtain, and covered the ark with it. As it says, when, when the camp is about to travel, Aaron and his sons shall come. The sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari dismantled the tabernacle and loaded it on wagons. The ark and the holy utensils, which were carried by the sons of Kahat, stood covered and were placed on poles until the banner of the camp of Reuben, the southern uh, flank, set out. Following this, the Kahatites set out. Okay. We kind of, uh, we kind of covered this. So, as soon as the eastern flank moves out, you cover the ark with the cloth, then you take down the, the curtains, the other curtains, and you take down the walls, you load them up in the wagons, the southern flank heads out, and then the Kahatites, um, yeah, the Kahatites get, uh, get things moving with the vessels. All right, next, carry the holy, they carry the sacred equipment, and that's referring to the Kahatites. So they carry the, um, the ark, the menorah, the showbread table, etc. Rashi again gets into the details here. The sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who had preceded the Kahatites by the departure of the two banners, erected the tabernacle as soon as the cloud settled. The hardware. The signal for camping was seen in the camp of Judah. And when they encamped, the sons of Cut were still traveling behind them with the last two banners of Ephraim and Dun. The sons of Gershon and Merari erected the tabernacle so when the sons of Cut arrived, they found it set up. They brought in the ark, the table, and the candelabrum, the menorah, and the altars. This is the meaning of the verse. Those who erected the tabernacle erected it. Ah, that is before the arrival of the Kahatites. So basically, in su- to summarize, the actual structure of the Mishkan, the beams, the sockets, the boards, the poles, the curtains, the skins, the tapestries, the coverings, all of the stakes, the ropes, went ahead to kind of set it up, set up the Mishkan. And then later the Kadites arrived with the Ark and the other, the other pieces. Let's continue. Although we read the Ark went before them, we'll have to figure that out. Um, okay, Don is the collector of, for the camps. What does that mean? Jerusalem Talmud states, because the tribe of Don was numerous... They traveled last, as if anyone had lost anything, they would find it and return it to him. There is an opinion that they traveled in a box-like formation. He derives this from the words, just as the camp, so, they, so, they, so shall they travel. Another opinion is they traveled in the form of a beam, and he derives this from the words, collector for all the camps. A box or a beam. I'm assuming either like a wide group or like a, maybe a wide group, like combing the desert. I feel like that's out of the movie Spaceballs. They're combing the desert. Anyway, if you get that, great. If not, it's also good. These are the travels. This is the order in which they traveled. And then they traveled on that day they set out. Chobav is Jethro. As I told you, Moses tells his father-in-law, come, come with us. As it says of the children of Chobav, the father-in-law of Moses, etc., so what does scripture mean by saying they, the daughters of Jethro, came to their father Ruel? Aha! Is it Ruel? 
Chovav or Jethro? What's going on? Or Yisro, what's going on here? So it teaches that children call their grandfather father. He had many names. Jethro, because through a portion was added to the Torah. Chovav, because he loved the Torah, etc., etc., etc. This is the same guy, he just has different names. So Jethro, Yisro means Yeser. They added a portion called Yisro. Yitro, the Torah portion called Yitro, it's named after it. Chovav means love. You know why? He loved the Torah. Uh, Moses tells the father, we are traveling to the place. Immediately within three days, we will enter the land. That was the intention. It's like, we're about to enter Israel. Come with us. For on this first journey, they traveled with the intention of entering the land of Israel. But because they sinned at the episode of the complainers, they were punished and did not enter the land until much later. Why does Moses include himself with them? He says, we are traveling to the place. Moses never went into the land of Israel because the decree against him entering the land had not yet been issued. And at that time, he thought he would enter. He was under the impression that he would, he would be there as well. He said, no, I'm going to go back home to my land and my birthplace, whether for the sake of my possessions or for the sake of my family, whether my business or my mishpacha. Moses says, don't leave us, please. It's a request. He made the request as he didn't want people to say Jethro did not convert out of commitment for Judaism. Rather, he thought that proselytes have a portion in the land. Now that he realizes that they have no portion, he's forsaken them and gone his own way. Aha! Look at that. Jethro wouldn't necessarily have received a portion of the land. As someone who was new to the faith, he did not have a uh, tribal affiliation, and thus, where would he live? He's not a Levite. He can't live with his son-in-law, Moses. He can't live with Reuben, Shimon, Levi, who decided, well, he, he wasn't one of those tribes, so maybe... He was a little bit, I'm sure they figured out a place for him to be, but like maybe he was a little uncertain. So he decided, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm checking out, you know, just to, to bounce. So Moses says, no, please stay with us so that people shouldn't say Jethro had no place. You'll, they'll see that you, that, we did get, that you do have a place. Again, just, um, just, just to be very clear here, it doesn't mean that he actually didn't have a place. It means that people would have said, had he left, that he left because he didn't have a place. So Moses says, no, stay, and we'll show everybody that you do have a place in the land of Israel. Just to clarify. Um, you're, you're familiar with the encampments. It is fitting for you to do this. Remain with us since you are familiar with the places in which we will camp in the desert. And you saw the miracles and wonders done for us. You will be our guide. You shall enlighten us with your guidance. Another interpretation, you shall be as beloved to us as the pupils of our eyes. As it says, you shall love the proselyte, you shall love the one who converts. We love you, he tells his father-in-law. Stay with us. Then we will bestow on you the good. What good did they actually bestow upon him? Like ultimately, what? like if Moses promises that if you come with us to Israel, it's going to be good. So then what happened at the end? They said when Israel apportioned the land... There was a fertile area of Jericho measuring 500 by 500 cubits, and they refrained from allocating it. They said, the one in whose portion the temple will be built shall take it. Meanwhile, they gave it to the descendants of Jethro, to Yonadav, the son of Rachav. As it says, the sons of Kenny and Mosafamla went up from the city uh, of Dates, namely Jericho. So he eventually, his family did get it. Did get a special portion in Israel, in Jericho. They traveled a distance of three days. They completed a distance of three days traveling one day. For God wanted to bring them to the land of Israel immediately. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant traveled three days ahead of them. 
This was the ark that accompanied them in battle. The broken pieces of the first set of tablets lay in them. It preceded them by three days of travel to prepare for them a place to encamp. The cloud was above them. Seven clouds are recorded in the account of their travels. Four from the four sides, one above, one below, and one in front of them, with which, sorry, which would flatten the high land, raise the hollows, and destroy snakes and scorpions. That's a very cool cloud to have, especially in the desert. From the camp, from the place where they encamped. Okay, and that takes us to the end. So what's the bottom line? We discussed a lot of things. We discussed the idea that we're, we're all travelers that are being directed by God. We spoke about the fact of the importance of keeping equanimity, not getting too high with the highs, too low with the lows. We spoke about the idea. Um, what was the first thing I said? All right, who knows? But, but this last point is also very important. And that is mishpacha, family. Moses tells his father-in-law, we need you. We need you. We want you. Keep the family close, right? Keep the family as, as much as possible, right? Keep our mishpacha close. Parents, our children, our siblings, our parents-in-law, our children-in-law, cousins. It's good to have mishpacha around. God, uh, Moses wanted Jethro around. He loved him. It's a, it's a very healthy model of a relationship, I will say. You know, we find with Moses some good, healthy modeling. He got along with his brother the first time in, in the Bible that two siblings got, got along, by the way. We don't find really any fighting between Moses and Aaron. We don't really find conflict. We find between Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. You know, all the siblings have rivalries. Moses and Aaron, they're good. Moses has a good model relationship for siblings and a good model relationship for a son-in-law toward a father-in-law. With this, we'll conclude. Thank you for joining me today. Hope all this made sense. Hope you were inspired. Hope you enjoyed it. Tonight, 7.30, had to turn back time. Had to go back and fill in the gaps and make things better than before. We'll talk about the second Passover, Pesach Sheni, and some incredible lessons that involve a three-way dispute in the Talmud. So join me tonight, 7.30, on Zoom or in person with Babka. 7.30 p.m. for Torah studies. All right. Uh, again, tomorrow, no DBP. We're back on, on Friday. All right. Who wants the final word? Anything? Questions, comments, greetings, wishes? Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. All right. Pleasure, Olia. We'll see you, Olia and Sarah and Ray. Have a wonderful day. Hope to see you a little bit later. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.